Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gunnan from Find the Ranch. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. As a reminder, we're kicking off each episode by announcing the winner of our weekly higher or lower game in the Wrenchway mobile app. Last week's winner was Tyler Mefford with a high score of 32. A big thanks to Full Bay for sponsoring last week's game. We're, uh, we greatly appreciate their partnership and, and uh, they're a great company, so please go check them out. Tyler won a $100 Amazon gift card and he also had a chance to win our Queen of Hearts pot, but unfortunately did not turn over the Queen of Hearts. So the pot increases to $1,100. The topic for this week is on financial results. The question is, does your shop or service department share financial results with the team? I'm really interested to hear what all of our Wrenchway insiders have to say on this topic. Uh, I think there's this is really, really varied on how much technicians get for feedback on, on uh, and not feedback, but really the results of their efforts other than what's pertaining directly to them. So uh, interested to see what you all have to say. Be sure to log into the Wrenchway app, complete challenges, and play the higher or lower game, which is sponsored by Diesel Laptops, for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Now, on to our episode for this week. Uh, we get to chat with Cheryl Thompson, who's the CEO and founder of Center for Automotive Diversity, Inclusion, and Advancement, also known as Cadia. We discuss the meaning of DEI, why it's important for our industry to embrace DEI, and things that need to change in our industry. In the interview, it's fun to me because I got to ask a lot of questions that came from my personal experience. And, and I, I felt really, really open to asking questions to Cheryl. I think that's one really, really cool thing about Cheryl is she kind of drives that openness from people. And some of those questions that might be awkward to ask, uh, but she does a really, really good job of of embracing that and being able to take one of those difficult questions and turning them around. So uh, we did actually ask our, our Wrenchway insiders a few weeks back if their shop has a DEI statement. And 38% said yes, 30% were unsure, and 32% said no. So there's obviously some, some room to grow here for all of us in the industry. I know for me, it was a, a kind of an eye-opener on some of the things that maybe I need to improve on. But uh, overall, I think this is a really, really good episode to listen and learn and uh, and just kind of embrace maybe what you don't know, because there's a, a lot there that Cheryl brought to the table. And and so I hope you really, really enjoy this week's episode. Take notes. It's really, really good. All right, everybody. I get to welcome Cheryl Thompson into the Beyond the Wrench podcast today. And I, as I kind of alluded to in the intro, I uh, feel like this is a really, really important conversation around diversity. Um, and, and Cheryl, I, I'm really happy to have you join us today. I think this is something that is really important to the future of our industry and, and really important that we grow and mature in this, uh, in this, this subject, right? I think this is, there's a lot of growth opportunity for everybody. So how are you today? I'm great. I'm great, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, I, I love the Beyond the Wrench. Such a cool title. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I we honestly didn't put a lot of uh, thought into it. We, <laughs> it was more like, what, what can we do that's not taken so far? But, um, but we really do appreciate uh, you coming on the show today. 
your background is fascinating. Uh, we were lucky enough to have you on our Women in Wrenching Roundtable a couple months back. And, uh, and really, I think you, you blew everybody away in, in that roundtable and in all of the conversations that I've had with you in the past. So uh, a, a true pleasure to have you on the podcast. For, for those of you that aren't familiar uh, with Cheryl, I'm, I'm going to have her walk through her background with you because uh, there's just a, a lot of depth there. I mean, there's a lot of history there in terms of, of how you grew through the industry. So Cheryl, would you mind kind of giving uh, everybody your, your background? Sure, sure. So I have a little bit of a non-traditional career path, and um, that's and you'll find out why I love the the wrench <laughs> name of the podcast here in a second. Um, so let's see, uh, thirty-one years with one company, and then a couple of years with uh, a supplier. But where it started off, I was in high school and I had plans to go to college, and this is in the mid '80s. Uh, so I'm giving my age away a little bit, but I, you know, computers were just coming of age and I wanted to do something. I was, um, doing an extended day program for data processing and I wanted to do something with computers. And I thought I was going to be a systems analyst, had my college bound courses all set. And I ended up having my son when I was 18. So I got pregnant when I was 17 and was waitressing. And so tip money is great. And I kept waitressing just so I could uh, support myself, my son and his father at the time. And my dad was an engineer at Ford Motor Company. And he said, you know, listen, Cheryl, if you're going to waitress, Ford has food service inside. Why don't you apply? So my mom drove me to the Ford World Headquarters building. And, you know, again, in the mid 80s, I'm wearing my gray suit, heels, pantyhose, and uh, she dropped me off and I went into the building and I applied and they hired me on the spot. Like they handed me an apron and said, can you start right now? Wow. So washing dishes in the basement of world headquarters. And do you remember the, the Lucy show, Lucille Ball? Remember yeah. that episode with the, the candy on the conveyor belt? Like yes. that, there was all these dishes coming at the uh, uh, at me at the conveyor belt. It was almost like a I love Lucy episode, and um, it was it was great a, a great way to get my foot in the door. I got to waitress in the executive dining room, the penthouse. So this is back when the executives still had all of those frills. So that was quite interesting. And then about two years in, they were trying to recruit women and minorities into the skilled trades. So I saw electricians, I saw pipe fitters, I knew what they did. And I thought, you know, if I ever get laid off, it'd be a great, great way to keep making money. Well, they were looking for people in tool and die. And I didn't, did not even know what that was. I thought I was going to make tools and dye them. <laughs> like no idea. And, you know, I get into the, the Rouge complex and, you know, for those who aren't aware, the Rouge complex is like Henry Ford, where this all started. It's like a little city within um, this complex. So you've got the steel making, you've got the frame plant, the glass plant, assembly plant, stamping plant, frame, all of that. And mostly men. And um, I was not only a gender minority, but I was a racial minority. So just really like a fish out of water. So I go into the plant and as you can imagine, not many women. So the coveralls are two sizes too big. You know, the crotch is down to my knees. The safety glasses are kind of like sliding down my nose. 
Um, I've got these steel toed boots that are two sizes too big. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I get myself into? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And they're, you know, they're sharing with me, you know, the tools. I didn't know what an Allen wrench was. My, my first job was, um, uh, working on the shaper. Um, so there was a tool bit that they handed me to go sharpen. And I just couldn't even fathom how that was going to cut steel. You know, it's just so, so, so foreign to me. But yeah. thankfully, I had so many people that took me under their wing. And I remember somebody was retiring and they gave me their whole toolbox. So I still have my toolbox. That is so cool. <laughs> so I can I can always go back to wrenching if I needed to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but long story short, you know, I did a four-year apprenticeship. I was a journey person for a couple of years. And I was fortunate enough to have a superintendent who came alongside me, you know, and I look back and this is probably the first experience I had with a mentor, or I would even call him a sponsor. And he said, look, Cheryl, you don't want to be wrenching your whole entire life, wrenching on tools. Um, Many die makers have gone into engineering and it was a little scary, but I, you know, took him, took him up on his introduction um, and, you know, got to know his network and took a, a a job in engineering. So I spent um, half of my career on the vehicle side, half on the powertrain side. And so I retired leading the powertrain prototype group. And so I had many technicians working for me um, that were building and tearing down and repairing engines, transmissions, and axles. Um, so, So that was Ford Motor and I retired. And then I had an opportunity to work at American Axle and Manufacturing, again, leading their global prototype team. And uh, did that for a couple of years. And while I was there, I was building this organization called Cadia, which, you know, is the Center for Automotive Diversity, Inclusion and Advancement. Um, So that's kind of the kind of the background and how I landed where I'm at today. (laughs) I have to say it's it's such an insane career path that in the journey (laughs) that you went on. Right. And I think looking at you know, I, I've read a lot about Ford Motor Company and the world headquarters, and um, I can't imagine how intimidating that was when you're, you know, you're a young person going into that environment. And, um, you know, I, probably some of the people that you see, uh, you know, they're some pretty high level people, right? I mean, if, if you're, yeah. if you're there, you're at the epicenter of everything Ford, right? And that's, that's, like at that young of an age to do that and, and honestly to, to, to do the dishes and do that kind of stuff to get your foot in the door. I, I, I walk me through that a little bit. I mean, that just had to be crazy. <laughs> well, I was just really excited to have a job. I just felt really proud to be working at Ford Motor Company. You know, my yeah. dad had worked there. I found out later that my I'm fourth generation automaker So my uh, great-grandfather came over from Lithuania, and he was a punch press operator. I found his, um, what did I find? His draft card? I think it was his draft card. Wow. And it said punch press operator at Ford Motor Company. So think about that. I was making the dyes that went inside the presses that he operated. Oh like, my so goodness. Cool. <laughs> I, I'm such a nostalgic person. I, I think that is, that is the coolest thing. And, and you think about it from the standpoint of, you know, he would, I'm assuming he was around maybe around the same time that maybe, maybe not Henry Ford, but like it, it maybe he was, yeah, I don't know. It, actually, this is the great grandfather. 
Um, he, wow. he was around during those times. Absolutely. Oh so I goodness. never, I never met him. And then my grandfather was a pipe fitter also at Ford Motor Company. So, oh my yeah. Goodness. So I, so I had this sense of pride, you know, just like, I remember walking into the building, just getting a little teared up, like, wow, I, I may just be a dishwasher, but I'm here. <laughs> well, and continuing the legacy, right? Like, and being able yes. to see that that's, um, I've, I've had a similar story more on uh, with John Deere. Uh, I had a lot of family that worked for John Deere. Uh, my grandfather worked for John Deere for decades. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I, and I still have some of his tools. Uh, he passed 20 years ago, but I still have, right? yeah, I, I've got tools that had his name engraved on it. And, you know, those were the things that when he passed away uh, that I wanted, right. Was the, the, the things that, you know, he, he wrote his name on a ratchet, like an old snap on ratchet that I still have to this day. And uh, it's one of my really, really prized possessions. That's what I, I, oh, I just absolutely. That's love. amazing. That's yeah. amazing. And, and I think that really gave me this foundation for inclusion because, yes. you know, working at that level, um, you know, being a die maker, um, being in charge of fixing the, the, the dies or the presses when, when there was a, um, an incident of downtime, sometimes I would see the, the leadership team not include the people who do the job every day in what the solution may be to, to fix the problem, right? So I just saw so much exclusion and so much talent that was going untapped even back in those days. So I think that's really kind of the heart of the, the work that I do. It's just, we need to make sure that we're including everyone. Everyone's, everyone has something to bring. Everyone has something different to bring to the table. And when we don't consider that, boy, we're missing out on so much. We see that at the shop level too, right? Where uh, technicians oftentimes feel like maybe they're not heard. Absolutely. And, you know, very similar, uh, very similar regard where, they feel like they've got a lot of really good ideas, but maybe those ideas aren't brought, you know, uh, into consideration right. when making decisions. So I, I agree with that. So that all led you to Cadia, right? And, yes. and be, being able to really focus on the diversity, inclusion, and advancement piece. And so walk us through that that transition a little bit. So from going from the manufacturer side to really mm -hmm. trying to, to develop this thing, right? And this right. thing that is so important. Yeah. So where it first started, you know, I, I was focused on women, uh, to be honest, when I yeah. first started the organization, because I just really saw so much potential and, and so many women that just were intelligent, competent, capable, and wanted more. They had more to give. So the organization started back in 2018. I had an event. I invited um, 100 women. I charged $25 per head. And we just, I brought in a few other speakers. I did a little talking and then we had this uh, panel discussion. And it was just kicking off this whole idea of, wow, there's so much talent hidden underground. Cadia is, uh, if you Google it, it's an underground gold mine <laughs> in Australia. And I so- it, yes. Isn't that cool? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's a gold mine in unearthing all of that talent for companies, but for individuals, right? This is a fantastic career. It's very lucrative, right? And it's very interesting. So there's a gold mine also for individuals. So that's how we started off. But I quickly found out that if, if we're just talking to women um, 
and we're not talking to leaders, we're not going to get very far. So soon after that, we said it needs to be all dimensions of diversity. I truly believe that once we see more diversity in leadership, it will help um, women. When we see more women in leadership, it will help everybody, right? Things are changing. Millennials brought in a, a huge wave of change, but Gen Z's, Oh man, they're bringing it. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, we haven't seen anything yet, right? So um, it it is about being more inclusive. So uh, we expanded, of course, beyond women. So all dimensions of diversity, and we also work very closely with leadership teams. We want to help them um, define that rationale for themselves. How do they connect this to the heart? We all know intellectually. And from any report, you can just Google the business case for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all kinds of data comes up. But how do we help leaders connect to their personal why and to the why of the business? And how are we going to use diversity, equity, and inclusion as a tool to help us deliver on the objectives and the mission and the goals that the company already has, right? It's an enabler. And what happens sometimes is the word diversity is scary for some people um, because Things like reverse discrimination come to mind, or is it, can I talk about this? People are afraid of saying the wrong thing. Can we share our data? Um, So it's just really having those conversations at the top level to work through all of that because the tone is set from at the top, but then also it's almost like the sandwich approach. Um, It's a grassroots, it's bottom up as well. And then making sure we get that middle of, you know, where, where things really hit where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love this. And and one of the things in our discussions, we're really about, you know, trying to understand, and even for myself as a leader, being able to understand, you know, there's, there's some of those awkward things, right. That I think are elephant in the room type things that maybe we all wonder, but we're not sure how to ask it or how to, how to approach a situation. And, and I don't, you know, I, I think when you and I spoke, it was even me talking to you about, you know, there there were instances where, you know, I didn't know how to approach a situation or I, you know, I there was there was some something unique that you, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or, you know, it came from a, a place of good, but trying to make sure that I wasn't doing it the wrong way. And I think that's where when we talk to you today, I think there's going to be a lot that people can learn out of this conversation simply from that standpoint, right? And and things that we can all apply in our businesses. And not only from a leadership standpoint, but if you're that technician, if you're that, you know, maybe uh, shop foreman, whoever you are, there's something to learn out of this podcast and, and something that you can get out of it. So I want to start with um, def- defining DEI, right? So diversity, equity, and inclusion. Would you mind if we kind of looked at each word and just make sure Sure. it sounds really simple, but to break it down for uh, somebody like me to make sure that I'm, I'm on the right path here. When we start with diversity, I think it's a, it's a pretty easy thing to understand, right? So when, when we talk about diversity, being able to, to draw a, and, and include a general public rather than one specific uh, race or sex, right? Is, is Am I off base there? No, you're, you're completely right. You know, we all have so many layers to us and we all have so many identities. And so when we think about diversity, the first thing that comes to mind for most people are the things we can see. So thinking about race, gender, 
um, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion, like that's kind of the first layer of diversity, but it goes beyond that to include so much more. So those are important. And, and that's when we start to think about things in terms of like representation. We want to make sure that we have equal representation um, that matches the community that we operate in, we serve, um, that we support, because we want to make sure we don't have blind spots. And we, you know, when making decisions, we want to make sure that we're relating to our customers, that we're relating to talent. So let's just talk about race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, um, you know, some of those more, more visible ones. If I'm going to work to look for a company to work for, everything is so transparent. I can see by looking at the website who's in the leadership team. If I don't see anybody who looks like me, I may not want to go work for that company because I may think that's a dead end. There's no career path there. I'm never going to be able to advance. Also, thinking, think about blind spots in terms of uh, facial recognition software. I think they've improved this now, but when it was first developed, it was correct 97% of the time if the subject was a white male. But if the subject was a uh, dark-skinned female, it was only right 67% of the time, Wow! right? So the people designing that software had a blind spot, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's like the first level of diversity. And, and when I talk about like representation, I'm, I'm thinking of those, why it matters. But then there's this whole other aspect of diversity. So there's that first dimension that we just talked about. Then there's the second dimension that are things like um, political views, uh, personality style, um, the way we work, um, you know, just different things that we pick up over time, our value system, um, the, the way we make decisions, right? We all think a little bit different. And then beyond that, even, it is um, organizational aspects. So what industry that did you come from? What level are you at? You know, we were talking before about the importance of including everybody and the um, the technicians on the floor, you know, they have so much knowledge that they're not being tapped into for. So it's kind of like thinking about that diversity. And then the, the outer layer is cultural. So it could be the culture within the company, or it could be culture in terms of where you were born, how you were raised. So yeah. diversity is much bigger, I think, than most people think of when they initially hear the word. So that's diversity. I'm glad we dove into that because that would not have been what I would have thought, right? And and when you say the political side, obviously within this last year, there's been a lot of divide, oh, yes. and and that you know that I think has caused a lot of strain within within companies, which is unfortunate. You know, I think right. Um, you know, that's I, I wouldn't have even thought of that. Now, the second word is probably the one that I would have the most questions about, just because I'm unfamiliar. But equity. Yeah. Yes. Equity. equity. Yeah. What are we (laughs) talking about? It's so interesting because when I first got into the work, I was a little unsure of what this whole term equity meant. I was thinking equality, you know, what's the difference between equality and equity? So we want to strive for equality, but we have a long way to go. If you just look at the data in the automotive industry, just looking at gender alone, right? We, we don't have equality. Um, but equity is this idea of we all have different starting points based on where we were born, how, you know, who raised us, the access that we have to opportunity. And so equity is all about making sure we give people what they need um, in order to have 
um, opportunity to succeed. So if you Google equity and, and graphic for equity, there's this image that comes up of people at a ballpark. And the first box is there's three people and they're all different heights and they all have the same size box that they're standing on, but the two shorter people can't see the game. In the middle box, everyone has a stack of boxes to stand on so they can all see over the fence. And that's what equity is, giving people what they need in order to succeed, in that case, to see the game. But what we really need to move to, the third image is this chain link fence. We need to work on what are the systems that we can change to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to succeed so that we don't need to worry about who has more boxes than me or who's going to take away my boxes. So an example of systemic change would be um, being more inclusive with our recruiting. So when we, when we are doing interviews, like, well, first of all, recruiting, make sure that we're looking at some of those non-traditional places uh, that we go to recruit, um, making sure that there's, there's diversity on the candidate panel, you know, at least including people. We want to put the very best person always, but making sure everybody gets a fair shot and then having some diversity on the interview panel. So it's, it's just changing systems, looking at the job descriptions. How are they written? Are they very ma- masculine? And are we having people opt out before they even get a shot? <laughs> so that, that's what equity is. Yeah, and th- that's such a great point in regard to, uh, you and I spoke about this as well, on if, say, women, for example, that if you're excluding women by writing maybe a masculine type of posting somewhere mm-hmm. for a job, you're excluding 50% of the population in that posting, which right. when you look at it, and we'll talk about the business case around this uh, a little bit more in depth, but that's a big deal. That's, you know, there's a lot of very, very talented people in general that like, if you're, if you're single-minded in this respect, I think you're, you're really short, short changing yourself in terms of what you can do as a company. Um, that, that's right. And then, you know, just thinking about women in this whole uh, systemic change, making sure that we've got the structural elements in the workplace to support women. You know, I was hearing that, you know, some of the facilities don't have women's locker rooms. So yeah. how welcome would I feel if I went into that facility and I have nowhere to change or put my stuff? You know? Yeah. I, I, out of that roundtable, that was one of the mm-hmm. things that we, we learned And one thing that the young lady said as well was, um, you know, having uniforms for women and that were not not like you talked about when you went into the factory, (laughs) right? Like stuff that actually fits uh, is a, is a big deal. And absolutely. Even like from a safety standpoint, if stuff's hanging all off of you and you're not, you know, like, right. It's not safe. Uh, So absolutely. I think there's a, there was a lot of value in that conversation. I learned just off of that alone. I was writing notes and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm an idiot. I did not think of any of this. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and that's, you know, that's so important. You know, we don't think of any of that stuff. That's kind of blind spots. And that's why it's so important to make sure that we're including every, everyone so that in, and building those relationships so we can ask those questions. What am I missing here? What did I leave out? What maybe do I not know about? And, you know, as we have these conversations with leaders, there's just so many ahas because, um, you know, I I don't want to be offend anyone here, but the workplace was built for and by a certain demographic, usually white men. Right. Right. And, and, and so sometimes they can't see the barriers and obstacles through the lens they have. 
but we help, you know, give people another pair of glasses to put on so that they can see some of those barriers and obstacles. And, and we're not trying to blame or shame. It's just, you know, this is important for you to know. <laughs> it's truly educating, right? And, and yes. that's that's um, that's why I was beyond excited for this conversation today. Now, the, the last word is inclusion. Is that as simple mm-hmm. as it sounds or is there more to that? It, it's pretty simple. It's, it, it is including everyone. It is understanding that um, there's value in all the differences that people bring to the table. And people, you know, at the end of the day, we all want to know we matter. We all want to be respected, appreciated, acknowledged, seen, heard, right? And that's what that is all about. And um, it, it really helps us leverage the best that everybody brings to the table and helps us achieve the mission of the organization. So it is pretty, pretty as straightforward as it sounds in inclusion. And I heard somebody talking about any problem we have can be solved with a DEI lens. And I think inclusion is that, that one thing, if we have a problem, who, who are we missing? Who's not at the table and why? And how do we bring them in to help us uh, get another perspective in solving this problem and making this decision so that we're not leaving anybody out? Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, it's it seems so simple, yet something we we are so far behind on, you know, as kind of a general culture. Um, I, I think that's that is uh, that is great. I'm really happy we took the time to to dive into those, just because it, I think it does even give me more clarity, uh, and I, I'm guessing our audience as well. So uh, now, first things first, when we talk about this, and and you mentioned this earlier with regard to the business case around DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and you've actually got belonging as well. Mm -hmm. Why is this important from a number standpoint? Mm, Yes. Yes. Well, if uh, another thing you can Google the business case, so many things will come up, you know, all of the consultancies have big reports on this. Uh, McKenzie does one every couple of years. Um, Boston Consulting Group, Deloitte, right? They all have these um, business cases. And what they're talking about is um, companies are more profitable. They're better able to perform. They're better able to attract and retain talent. And they put numbers to it. And it's, you know, 29% companies perform 29% better, you know, depending on what report you look at. Bottom line is, um, it's not that women are smarter or, you know, it's, it's just that you're breaking up that group think. <laughs> right, so right. there was, um, you know, Norway is a country that has quotas um, on their boards. And so really? there was, I a didn't pro- know that. yeah, so there was a professor named Aaron Durr and he did a study pre and post quotas and he wanted to see what changed when, you know, the, it was mandated that we had more women on boards and a few things that they found out. So number one, um, the women showed up more prepared. They actually read the materials before the board meeting. And so that kind of challenged the status quo. So then the men started showing up more prepared. So it raised the performance of the entire group because there was a little bit of, uh, you know, breaking up that group dynamic that, that went on, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, other, the other thing that they saw is decisions took longer to make but they were better decisions and they were made in the boardroom versus like at the, in the golf course or, you know, 
country club or, or where, wherever. Right. Um, there was a lot more going back and forth to management, but you know, women are more likely to not make a decision until they have all of the information. So better decisions. And then the third thing is, you know, men were more likely to look at the short term and to look at the shareholders where women were more likely to look at the long term and to look at um, all of the stakeholders, you know, employees, wow. the community and all of that. So it's just what I'm trying to say here is it's it's that inclusion piece um, and and getting different perspectives and breaking up that group think that really produces the results. So so that's one thing. And what's interesting is investors know this. So investors are starting to say, unless we see diversity on the board, and this is in the United States, we're not going to invest in your company. Goldman Sachs has a statement, no IPOs with boards with all bros. Wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> and, it, and it's written in you know, what they want to see in terms of diversity on boards. Um, NASDAQ has said, we want to see at least one woman and a diverse person on boards. Uh, State Street, BlackRock, um, uh, what's the other one? Vanguard, right? They, yes. They've all made statements. So then that trickles down to the C-suite, which now is putting some pressure to, to develop plans. The other thing is demographics. You know, last year in 2020, 50.2% um, of the population in the U.S. came from an ethnic group or minority race. So, you know, the uh, population of Hispanics is growing the fastest but also people coming from two or more races, the Asian community, Black, African-American is increasing. So in order to find talent, you know, not even thinking about gender, we need to be more inclusive. Wow. Um, and then you just think about, um, you know, everything that we went through for the, during the pandemic and the social unrest and awareness of some inequities that exist. You know, that's another, I would say, business case in, you know, reason um, to, to start looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then the customers buying the car, right? And the dealers, they're closest to the customer. The customer base is more diverse. And, yeah. and similar to talent, they want to see somebody who that they can relate to and trust and have a relationship with. Yeah. So I, lots of lots of things stacked up on the business case. And it's it it is crazy. And I think this is something that um I, as we evolve and as we hopefully get a little bit more knowledgeable about this, hopefully we close up some of those gaps in, in the divide. Right. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing that I see um, is some of that divide. And I think some of it's just because of, uh, there's a lot of places that have never done it before. Right. And, and right. If, if you were always led, like you said, just kind of, uh, more traditional, it, you you might not be able to take those blinders off. And that's that's something that is, uh, I think, what, the first time you do something different, there's change is hard, right? And I think right. that that is, uh, that's why what you're doing is so, so impactful and, and so big. Um, so what, I mean, as, as we kind of dive into this, what is it that you see out there, kind of current state, you know, where, where do we stand on this? Are we getting better or is it kind of, we're dragging along and we're, we're being forced into it or is it, are you seeing people willingly wanting to make these changes? Yeah. I, I, you know, if you look at the data and the data is a lagging indicator, um, we, we have a lot of work to do. 
Um, if you look at automotive overall, it's 23.6% female in, in overall in automotive. If you break it down and you look at part manufacturers um, and, and you look at positions all the way up to the C-suite, it's about 13% female, so not doing great. Um, and then if you look at the, uh, the retail side, it's only 5% female at the general manager level. And I think the last numbers I saw was 1% females and technicians. So looking at the data, again, a lagging indicator, we're not doing great. And I would say before the pandemic hit, um, we were starting to see some momentum. And I think it came from the investor community, you know, the conversation we were just having a bit ago. But I think that the events of, you know, the pandemic, um, economic uncertainty, um, the disruption that we've seen in supply chain, and then, of course, um, George Floyd's murder and the, all of the social unrest and focus on social justice has really, really increased interest. So in, in our world, um, we have seen um, a huge increase in people wanting to know more about this, um, wanting to increase their, their knowledge on the topic and wanting to know, wow, what do we need to do to make sure we're going to be successful in three years from now, in five years from now? What do we have to do today? Because this idea of sustainability, are we going to be able to sustain our workforce, which is important to sustaining our business, is becoming more top of mind. Do you, and this was kind of a, a touchy thing that that we, we had talked about in a prior conversation, but one of the things that I, I wanted to ask, and, and it's kind of a deep question, but is, are we seeing this done to check the box or are we seeing this done to actually make change? Yeah. And, and I'm curious just as, as to what you're seeing there. Yeah, I would say in the past, there has been some check the box activity going on, but the CEOs that we talk to are so anti check the box. Um, there's one CEO I can think of in particular, and he says, no cotton balls. I don't want anything fluffy. I want to make sure that we um, have substance and that we're making meaningful change. So I'm seeing people, in fact, shy away from making a statement or signing up for doing something like this because they they want to make sure that they can fully commit and that is not a check the box or window dressing activity. That's because that can to- actually... Yes. And that can actually do more damage than good, right? If you say you're going to do something and, and you're not, your audio doesn't match your video, <laughs> you know, you're not walking the talk that can actually do more harm. And, you know, we were talking about Gen Z, boy, they're all about transparency, authenticity, and um, equality and inclusion. So um, we, we have to do better. They, they expect better. Where do you think that shift happened with Gen Z and where, you know, where they're they're coming into the workforce with that expectation and something that I said was just I never even really thought about it growing up right like I, I didn't people of different sex or race never it never really entered my head and I think that might be somewhat because of um, my upbringing I guess a little bit but then also I, I I don't know if that's a generational thing that you, you're just, it's, it's become something that you grow up with and, and you don't really think a big deal. Yeah, I think it is generational. I mean, there, there's a lot more diversity in the millennial generation than probably in my generation. I'm a Gen X. Um, there was less diversity in the boomer generation before me. 
Um, we were talking just a minute ago about the diversity, how, you know, last year, 50.2% of the population under the age of 18, you know, came from an ethnic group or minority race. So the numbers itself is diversity is just a fact of life for them. And so when they don't see all of the diversity that they've grown up with represented in the companies that they're joining, there's like that disconnect going on. And so it's, it's something's not right here. Something's not adding up. Um, so definitely they've had more exposure to people who are different in terms of race and ethnicity, but also sexual orientation. So gender expression, gender identity, that's, that's a whole nother element. In fact, um, we had a Gen Z expert on, we do something every Tuesday called Kadia Connects and it's, uh, his name is Pranan Lipinski and it's work with Gen Z and he's got a fun little quiz on, on his website. But he talked about Gen Z, one out of four people in Gen Z expect to change their gender identity, right? So they're just um, just really exposed and, and grew up um, to, to seeing more diversity. So I think that's where it starts. Also, their parents, you know, are Gen Xs. And so that has some influence as well. They've also seen... Um, the, the Great Recession, 2007, 2009. And so they're also focused on more stability versus the millennial generation who could be more gig um, economy focused, right? Sure, sure, so. sure. And, and I had a, a story that I shared with you that I, I think is relevant to this, which is I, I worked with an individual that went through the transition, right? And um, gender transition, and gender transition. Mm-hmm. And uh, she approached me initially about, you know, talk, she talked to me, I was in a leadership position and talked to me about going through this. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it was so tough for her and she was transitioning to uh, a male and just hearing the kind of the pain in her voice when she was talking was so impactful to me because it gave me an idea of what, what she was going to go through and what she knew she was going to go through as a, as a result. So for us, she was a technician. Mm-hmm. And we, so we worked together to, to kind of build a game plan on how, how this was going to work, right? And so we brought up every tech that was in the shop individually, talked with them, uh, it kind of explained it, asked if they had any questions. And the coolest thing came out of it in that one, the shop was incredibly accepting uh, and, and not only that, but encouraging of, of this person's decision. Right. And, and so it was, it was so enlightening to go through that process and be able to um, see it happen in real life. It wasn't any longer a mythical thing that you've never seen before. And it did. If I'm being honest, I think it, it kind of, it gave me butterflies at first when, it, when I'm first thinking about, oh my goodness, how, how can I help this person? How can I help them get through this? And it, because it was the first time for me. So I can, I feel like I can appreciate uh, folks that are in that, that position in that leadership position and going through it for the first time. My biggest thing that I learned was that one people are capable of being accepting and being really encouraging. If, if you help educate them and help them understand, you know, why something is taking place and why a major event like that is taking place and that you can make their lives a lot easier 
by helping them along. And it was such a, uh, it was such a game changing piece of, of my life. And one that, you know, I never anticipated coming and, and didn't really even think about it, but I, I can imagine you see that in a lot of places. I hope you see that in a lot of places where, um, at some level, we don't give enough credit to the people that work for us because they are capable yes. of this, right? Like they, they, yeah. if, if they're educated and they know why something's happening, I feel like there's just more acceptance and that, you know, I think there there's more ability there than maybe we give credit for. Oh boy. So beautifully said. I, I love that story, Jay. It makes my heart happy <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I mean, the way you approached it, you know, you, you were definitely uncomfortable and we are going to be pushed out of our comfort zones. If we're not, we're not trying hard enough. Right. And then to really spend some time with that individual and find out what do you need? How can I help? And then really developing that plan together to make sure that we're educating everybody. It's, it's providing that awareness. And, and that's what made that um, whole transition probably so much easier. And you're right. We don't give an, individuals enough credit for that understanding and awareness. So I, I think that's beautiful. And I think you'll find very few people would be opposed it's, right. we just don't know, we're not aware. And it's the same with all these other differences. I, you know, after um, the events of spring and summer last year, you know, we didn't really talk about race in the workplace, but that allowed us to take that conversation into the workplace. And it was so uncomfortable for so many people, but wow, there's just been so much growth um, since we started having those conversations, you know, people of color being able to share their lived experience people like myself, you know, white and female being able to understand, like I heard these things before, but I didn't really realize, wow, what must that be like to have that part of your daily life being worried about being profiled, driving your car or being watched when you're shopping, right? So um, bringing that into the workplace and how does that show up in the workplace? um, I just think that's the next step is furthering that understanding for people. Well, and even... I mean, when you point to that, we, we have people of color on our team, right? And and they're so incredibly talented, just great people. Uh, and w- when the whole George Floyd thing happened and kind of the social unrest at that point, it did feel for us like there was an elephant in the room. And, and mm-hmm. we're not lucky mm-hmm. enough to have everybody in our office that we have a lot of remote workers throughout the U.S. But we, we have a team meeting uh, and you know, it, once a month, everybody sits down and we we have a meeting to kind of go over everything. And I remember talking to my business partner, Mark, about, okay, how do we address this? You know, here's two white males that are addressing this. We can't put ourselves in their shoes, but there's an elephant in the room that I feel like we need to address. So uh, at the start of the meeting, we kind of, I, I from what I recall, we talked about that where we we kind of said, you know, we're not in a position to be able to tell, you know, uh, to be able to sympathize or, or and be able to put ourselves in your shoes because we can't like we, we just, mm-hmm. right. but our overwhelming message during that call was like, it doesn't matter what sex, what race, what anything you are, if you're talented, you've got a spot on this team. And that similar to the other situation that I talked about going through that, was hard. Like it, yes. it wasn't, you know, cause you don't, you don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to send any type of message that 
that there's anybody that's excluded from working for Finder Wrench or Wrenchway. You really want that clear message. But at the same point, there's still the minority in our company. And to be able to talk to that, you know, you almost feel like you're singling them out and you don't want to do that either. And so right. it was just, yeah. it was, it was a really, you know, internally for me, there was a lot of internal conflict going into that meeting and I was nervous uh, just to, to talk about it. And, um, you know, a credit to our team that they took it in stride. They did a, just an incredible job. But it's well, and, and 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 what you did as a leader to create that space is so so important. And I had a very similar situation. We do something every Tuesday. Um, I shared called Cadia Connects, and so we started that actually when the pandemic happened because we wanted to provide a place for people who may be feeling isolated now that they had to work from home. You know, provide that community and connection. And after George Floyd happened. Um, we had a few people say, you know, listen, I, I'm not okay. Um, my employer hasn't said anything. Nobody's asked me if I'm okay. Nobody's acknowledged this. Maybe is there something you can do? We normally record our sessions for three weeks. We did not record the sessions and we just had a discussion about race and privilege. Very similar to you, right? I'm a white woman. I was extremely nervous going into that situation. Um, actually, it was very emotional as well. You know, yeah. I, I had tears and and then you know, just hearing people's stories, um, providing that space and grace for people to share those stories was just so powerful. And the people of color who were sharing their stories, there was a little bit of hesitation on their side as well. You know, that do you really want to hear what I think? Do you really want to, you know, so um, creating that safety and providing that space, that's what we need to do as leaders, hold that space. And we never want anyone in the company to feel like they're less than where they're being discriminated against or worse harassed, harassed, feeling like they're harassed, right? Everybody matters. Well, and I think, yeah, same, same with my experience. I, I was an emotional wreck <laughs> going into that, but it, it was, it, you know, I didn't want to put them in an uncomfortable position either. Right. I didn't want to put right. them in a place to where, they're you educating know. everyone or speaking for an entire group. Right. Right. Yes. And I didn't want to single them out because I almost felt like that in itself was kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> putting them outside of everybody else. And I, I think, you know, looking back at it, that might've been an opportunity that I could have taken to, uh, to have them help educate us too. So um, I, I, uh, I appreciate you sharing your story there. I, I that uh, makes me feel a little bit better and, and hopefully, we're not too far off the ball there, but yes, I very similar. Uh, we're, we're all, we're all learning, you know, and um, I was talking to somebody yesterday who shared, you know, if you say nothing, it's worse than making a mistake. We're all going to make mistakes. If you're not trying hard enough, if you're not putting your foot in your mouth at some point. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's just, again, providing that space and grace for, for all of us to, to be on this journey together. We're all learning. So one other, one last thing on this this point here. Um, one other thing that I'm uncomfortable with, and and I think I would ask your opinion on, is kind of the um, the description, right? So when I when I was talking about the person going through the gender transformation, I referred to her as him, and and so trying to figure out like how what's the right way to do that. Uh, and and making sure that when our audience is having are having these discussions, which I think are far more likely in the future, what is the best way to approach that? 
um, in terms of uh, what gender to call them after they've Here, gone through the transition? Right, right. Because yeah. it, it, it was, I was dealing with her, you know, at, at the pretense, uh, you know, kind of in. in yes. Yep. You know so the I'm new saying? gender is him. So then you refer to the, the uh, after they've gone through the transition as him. Yes. 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 Yeah. We, we had, we actually had a gender identity expert um, on one of our sessions. So uh, his name is Stan Kimmer and, you know, we can maybe provide a link to that recording in your yes. show notes, I would love um, that. but he, he went through the whole thing. So he is um, former IBM um, worked in the, one of the functional areas for for many years, but then uh, he's gay ma- a gay man. Um, he started um, helping with their uh, LGBTQ employee resource group. Actually, that became his whole job where he supported that. Went out on his own um, in his sixties. Became a he always was interested in figure skating. Um, he became um, a professional figure skater and he competes all throughout the United States. And now he spends his time um, educating companies on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and specifically helping people with this whole gender identity and gender transition. So helps people with that. But it, it was it was very informative in terms of understanding what all those letters mean. How do you support people going through the transition? What do you call them? And um, uh, it's very, very eye-opening. So I would recommend that. <laughs> we will definitely get that link from you. I think that would be, uh, that'd be great for me. I think it'd be great for yeah. a lot of people to, to listen to that. So, um, so we'll, we'll definitely do that. Now, one thing you mentioned was, you know, we're talking about a lot of big companies, right? We're talking about the Fords, the IBMs of the world. Are, are there things that we can take maybe as smaller companies and maybe some that don't you know, have that forward budget uh, to be able to to allocate to something like this. Are there things that we can do in in our businesses to, you know, educate ourselves? To, yeah. You know, to to you know be better in this sense. Yeah, most of the companies we work with do not have big budgets in this space, and many companies start off with a very grassroots effort. There's a few people. It starts with one person saying who else is interested in this. And it usually starts with a book club where, you know, maybe there's a, a book or an article where everyone reads it and then they share their thoughts about it. Um, another thing that's been really increasing with popularity is watching TED Talks together. And there's a ton of them out there. You just have to Google inclusion, equity, or diversity or wh- whatever the topic is. And it's this shared learning. And then, you know, um, maybe putting a little bit of information together on the business case. Once you've got that grassroots established, taking it to leadership to put something in that's more formal is, is a great way to get started. It, it doesn't take a lot. That's, I think that's really good to know. Uh, you know, and I think that's a lot of times as smaller companies, we can look at, you know, maybe I came from corporate America. I knew it was, it was just a different world. Right. And, and being able to, you know, we talk about it with just typical technician training, right? And that it, smaller companies sometimes don't look at that as a possibility, but you know, there's there are opportunities. We're lucky enough to have the internet to be able to to do a lot of educating. Yeah. Um, but that's a that that's great. Um, so how how are companies kind of learning from each other, right? Like what what are as we're growing in this, we're kind of going through a growth journey in this. How, how are we learning from each other? 
Well, that's, that's a great question. We started something on the OE, OE side in 2019, um, this concept around, uh, of a roundtable. Um, so we brought a few companies together to see, would there be interest in learning from each other? Um, we found out there was a, a huge interest in learning from each other. We started these off in person, um, but we had to go virtual, obviously, um, with the pandemic. And that has really helped us include more companies and more people. Um, so we have a monthly roundtable and I do a little bit of teaching and then other companies are able to share, here's what we're doing related to whatever I just brought up. They're also able to share wins between each other um, and uh, challenges. And there's been a lot of relationships that have formed where people are meeting kind of one-off out, outside of the meetings. Um, so that's, that's how companies are learning from each other. It doesn't seem to be any concern about competition. It's this idea of a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, so we have started something on the retail side and on the um, auto care or aftermarket side. If, it, if anyone's interested in, in being part of that to, to actually see what other companies are doing. <laughs> I'll, uh, and, and we'll make sure to put your information in the show notes so that uh, folks that want to reach out to you can. Uh, I think that's really, really important as we move forward. Um, one other question I wanted to kind of touch on was that if, if you're an employee at a company and maybe you don't see the buy-in from management and you're passionate about it, right? You, you want to see that change. You want to see kind of some movement in the right direction here. Do you have any suggestions or tips on, on how to approach that type of situation? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if the top person in the company um, isn't leading this or maybe um, isn't aware, I think it's finding somebody with influence on the leadership team, usually there's somebody <laughs> um, who, who is open to learning or maybe um, has this desire as well to increase inclusion and diversity within the company. So I think it's, that, it's finding that influencer um, and having some one-on-one -on -one sessions. This is a journey. It takes a, it takes a long time. If you think about um, how long it takes to launch a car, it's 18 months from design concept to job one. Um, just remembering to be patient, that it takes time. It just, change happens one conversation at a time, not in one conversation. So it's, um, you know, finding those opportunities to make people aware, um, sharing personal stories that's really, really effective. Um, I, I think that's a good way to start. I do too. And I think like leaning into community, right? And being able mm -hmm. to, to lean on others. You've done such a good job at establishing that. And, and something that I think is just, it's not going to get less important, right? This is going to continue to evolve and continue to, um, as you mentioned, even from the business side, uh, Gen mm -hmm. Z coming up and being able to cater to that a little bit more in depth. I, I, I just, uh, I think that there's so much value and so many takeaways out of this podcast, even for myself, to be able to learn and, uh, and hopefully be able to continue to learn um, so I, I can't thank you enough for all of this. This is uh, this is really really good stuff. And and uh, oh, my pleasure. Sure, <laughs> this I is so sure great. Oh, so one last question, not yes. in regard to diversity, but how was it at the mothership out at Ford? I mean, that that place is just gigantic, isn't it? 
It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you were, you were actually, from what I recall in, in prior conversations, like in the executive boardroom, right. Or you were in that area with, I mean, there's some pretty big players up there. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. I've seen, um, I've seen a lot for sure. I mean, inside the world headquarters building, I've been in the basement, but I've also been, you know, at the, the very top floor where, it requires security <laughs> um, to get to that very top floor. The elevator doesn't go to those top two floors. Somebody has to approve you to get to those top two floors. And then when you get off the elevator, somebody has to like let you in. So, um, you know, I've, I've been able to see all aspects. Um, also the Rouge complex, which is um, a, a little further down the road, um, being able to see all of those plants, you know, just huge opportunity. Um, to do whatever it is you want in your career to grow and learn. Um, just really finding the right mentor, the right person who has your back as an advocate is really, really important. And just kind of raising your hand and not being afraid of opportunity. Well, I think that that visual of going from the basement to the top floor is very, <laughs> very, um, I, I think that's an accurate picture of of your career path, right? And it's extremely inspirational. Uh, I, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and, uh, and I've really enjoyed today. hope to have you back on to continue the discussion and uh, truly appreciate you joining us here today. Oh, thank you, Jay, so much. I really appreciate the invite and this conversation has been so much fun. Thank you. Mm-hmm.